Forgive me for not having a mic this morning. It's not working for some reason or another, and our, our mic guru is not here. So hope you can all hear me, can't you? Everyone can hear me just fine. Good. Thumbs yes. up. Positive. Yep. Good. Thank you. Good. I'll, I'll I'll make sure and project as much as possible. So we are together. We are spending time in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is going to take us a significant amount of time. We're probably going to take the rest of the year and think about the Sermon on the Mount. We've we've spent a few weeks considering the Beatitudes together. We're going to continue that this morning. We're going to look at the fourth of the eight Beatitudes that are contained in Matthew's Gospel. Um, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter five. We'll read verses two through twelve together, and then we'll digest the fourth Beatitude there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word. Larry has some, and he's holding them up. Um, It's good to have this in front of you. It's good to see what you're talking about, whether it's on your phone or a paper copy. It's good to see that I'm not just making these things up, and that you you can trust the Word of, of God contained within the pages of Scripture. So again, we're exploring the Sermon on the Mount. Um, processing these Beatitudes together. Um, There's eight, like I said, there's eight total of these. And if you're unfamiliar, they all start with one word, blessed. They all start with the word blessed. Um, Or your Bible might say happy. Um, But the idea is that God's favor is pronounced upon those who contain these things. And not that God's favor is pronounced as as a reaction to living like the things that are contained here. But that God's favor compels or makes possible the things contained within the Beatitudes. That's why Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, because he wants his disciples to hear that God's favor comes first. God's favor comes first. That he is, uh, he is pronouncing his favor on his people, and that right living, as we're going to see throughout with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, comes as a result of God's favor. So God does first, and then we do second. This is important. This is the order of things. What we do doesn't earn God's favor. God's favor is given to us first. Then we're empowered to live lives that are honoring to Him. Paul Tripp in his devotional, New Morning Mercies, writes this. You don't work to earn earn God's favor. favor. Rather, your work is a hymn of thanks for the favor that Christ achieved on your behalf. So as we work, as we go out, as we live lives according to what the Bible commands us to live, we are living these, as Paul Tripp says, as a hymn of thanks for the favor that Christ achieved on our behalf. So this morning then, as we get to the the fourth beatitude in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... As we get to the fourth one today, we're going to consider the previous ones because we know we've talked about these building up to something. But we want to read together the whole of this section just to get our minds around where Jesus is, is going. We want to think of these as a group, not as individual statements, not as individual demeanors, just to, just to, to, to put on ourselves but rather as a spirit-empowered living that that describes every single believer. So, what we've looked at so far, the poor in spirit, the mourning, and the meek, those things describe every believer. That's what this is meant to communicate to us. 
So let's read together. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Looking then at verse 6, then this is where we're going to focus our time together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So if you have kids, right, a small group this morning, if, we have, if you have kids or had kids who are in a small stage, if they're anything like ours, uh, about a half hour after breakfast time, they start to ask what's for lunch. They start to say, what's for lunch? What's for lunch? What's, what, what are we going to have for, for lunch? A half hour after breakfast. And if we get into like the 90 minute mark, you'd think that we'd never fed them before in their entire life. They're, they're breaking down. They're asking for food. They're, they're, they're on the floor weeping because so it, it would seem as though we had never, had never given them anything to eat. And it's all a bit exaggerated on their part. Their world sort of revolves around food somehow. I'm not sure if maybe that's not your kids, but it certainly is ours. For much of human history, though, intense hunger, although it's exaggerated on our kids' part because they just ate, intense hunger is part of the human experience. Right? We, we live in a time and a day and age where intense hunger is something that most of us haven't really ever experienced. 2 Kings 6 describes, this is the ancient world, describes a, a famine so intense that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I think somewhere probably $400, $500 for a donkey's head to eat. Uh, the text also tells us that uh, a, a liter, about a liter of dove dung was sold for five shekels of silver. So nailing down how that all translates is, is difficult, but it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Those things were sold because of a famine so intense. In the same famine, the, the Bible reports that mothers considered eating their children. And all of these things because of their hunger. But even if food wasn't usually available, there might be extended periods where it's simply... Well, even in our day, hunger at an intense level is relatively common. Despite the fact that, again, we probably have never experienced hunger this intense, uh, this is relatively common. The United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization published a study last year that showed that one in every nine people globally would fall into the category of what they call chronically undernourished. Chronically undernourished, which really just amounts to starving. Amounts to starving. This amounts to nearly 800 million people on our planet who regularly understand hunger on an intense level. So the fourth beatitude, then, where we focus our time together, Jesus' hearers most likely experienced hunger on this level, and at a level that I would venture that most of us have not. So this is important to get ourselves in the headspace of those who are listening to Jesus. Uh, because when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, these would have conjured some 
pretty significant uh, thoughts for his reader, for his hearers. Times where they felt really hungry. His disciples, the guys who he was talking to, weren't well off financially. They were fishermen. And they probably, if there was a long period of time where they weren't catching anything, or it was the wrong season, um, they probably didn't have unlimited access to food. So when Jesus begins to talk about hunger in verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The idea would have been much more pointed for them than it is for us. It would have resonated in a way that we can't quite get our heads around. Sure, we get hungry, but it doesn't consume our thoughts because we haven't eaten anything substantial in a week or in two weeks. We grab a granola bar or some Doritos or something and curb it, right? That's what we do. That's how we, we live. So when we look at what Jesus says here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is Jesus saying? So three things then that we can sort of break this down into. Three things. Just the idea of hungering and thirsting. What does Jesus mean when he says hunger and thirst? What is the, and then what is the righteousness that Jesus talks about? What is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about? And then satisfaction. What does satisfaction look like for us? What does that mean? And why, why does Jesus choose to use these, these terms? So let's look at each of these. Just kind of walk through the verse together. Hunger and thirst. This is, this is really metaphorical territory that Jesus ventures into, right? Because he's clearly, what we've talked about so far in the Beatitudes, that these are spiritual characteristics first. That these are, should be interpreted or understood as spiritual first. So when Jesus gets here, uh, this has been relatively commonplace to have these categories for it. But when Jesus turns this and starts talking about a spiritual angle, all of a sudden it becomes a bit different. Right, so there's a need then for sustenance. And this is what I want to what you hear here as we look together at the hunger and thirst part of verse 6. This is a powerful metaphor that Jesus uses because it's rooted in the essential and not in the preferential. It's rooted in our need and not just what we think we need. It's rooted in the essential and not just in preference. So, again, for Jesus' hearers, you, you have water to survive. You must have water to survive. Like, as humans, like, three or four days, somewhere in that range, like, three or four days, if you don't consume any water, um, you're in tough shape. So, personally, for me, if I can't find my phone, my smartphone, I start to lose it a little bit. Like, I just start to, to go a little crazy. Like, I feel disconnected. I feel naked. It's just how I feel. But consider living in the first century... And setting the bucket down the well for the third or fourth day in a row and pulling nothing back up. All of a sudden we have this different understanding. We have a different, a totally different understanding of what's going on. Also, Jesus, when he says, You must you must are those who hunger, we, we have to have food to live. Now it's not 100 percent clear how long we can go without food. Um, I think it's probably different person to person. Um, but for us, you see in our culture, we've taken eating. In particular, we've taken eating and made it preference. We've made it preference-based activity. What do you like to eat? What are your favorite foods? These are questions we ask our kids, or we ask others when we're just getting to know them. What's something that you like to eat? Um, 
So this whole discussion then about hungering and thirsting for righteousness has become for us, if we read this without the first century uh, readers understanding in mind, this becomes preferential. This is going to become more important later. So when I'm hungry, I can choose what I want to eat. What do I prefer right now? And friends, what we've done is we've confused need for preference when we come to this text. We've confused need for pre preference. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying, blessed are those who need this, who need it. Jesus' metaphor about need and not about preference. So when we get here, and when we get to think about righteousness, what we've done is we've sort of reduced biblical commands then. As we see the things outlaid in, in Scripture, and the things that God has commanded us in, throughout the pages of Scripture, what we tend to do as a consumeristic culture that takes food even, and like, what's your favorite food, and asks about the, the preference that we have related to it, we've taken these and, and reduced them to preference. What are the ones that we like to keep? What are the ones that are convenient for us? If it's inconvenient for us, we kind of set it aside for a little while. Or maybe just forever. And as we've led into this beatitude, we've seen that the blessed are those who are poor in spirit in verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've seen that blessed are those who mourn. We've seen blessed are those who are meek. Each of these assumes a correct assessment of oneself. Each of these things assumes a correct assessment of oneself. And so, poverty of spirit and understanding that we come to God with nothing. And as we mourn over our sin, that which can separate us from right relationship with God. And this brings us in to meekness, understanding that we do not have rights, that we should not be, that should not be protected, but rather that should be relinquished. And now when we look at hunger and thirst for righteousness, a need not a preference, this is what compels the Christ follower. This is what compels the Christ follower. Not a, not a preference, but a need for right standing with God, for right living according to what He commands us in Scripture. So, hunger and thirst then. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What do they hunger and thirst for? Righteousness. So what is the righteousness then that Jesus is talking about? This is a big question. This is a big question because Matthew uses this word in a couple of different ways. So what we really need to do is hone in on the context, hone in on the way in which Matthew sets up these uh, things that Jesus says. Uh, and based on what he's recording, I think that I would submit to you that it's correct God-honoring living. It's correct God-honoring living. Now this righteousness doesn't have the power to save us. Right? Because these are our works. These are flowing out of, of us. And although they're empowered by the Spirit, these things are given to us. Christ's righteousness, Christ lived a perfect life. Christ's righteousness, the perfect righteousness that God demands, has been given to us freely. This is not the righteousness that Matthew's talking about here. The, the, the righteousness that comes from Christ, that's given to us or imputed to us, it's not only given to us, but it's also ascribed to us, and it's counted to us as our own. And because of the free gift of God's favor, we are not able to live according to God's standards to live righteous lives. So again, this righteousness that, that Matthew records Jesus talking about in verse 6 is correct, God-honoring living. That's what he means by this. 
So the hunger and thirst then is for lives that are in line with what God commands. We hunger and thirst for lives that are in step with what God commands. So this becomes an interesting point for us. And maybe this is where we struggle a bit with this beatitude in particular. Although it seems straightforward, the blessing comes for the one who hungers and thirsts for correct living according to God's standards. So it's the pursuit then of the correct correct living that marks the Christ follower. And we as Christ followers are painting, this is the metaphor that we've used so far in our time in beatitude, painting this kingdom portrait. Right, where we are displaying to the world what the kingdom of heaven, what Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, looks like. We're painting this portrait together as believers by living according to the things that God gives us. We as Christ followers, painting the kingdom portrait, desiring, longing, yearning to live like God has commanded us. So two, two thoughts then coming out of this in particular. This discussion is important. So, two thoughts then coming out of this. First, in the Beatitude, we are told that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We turn this around a bit and make it a bit circular sometimes. We turn it on its head. Our culture likes to say, our culture likes to say, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. So we elevate our happiness, we elevate our desires and our longing to be uh, happy to the peak pursuit rather than living God-honoring lives. Right? But it's actually pursuing something other than happiness that, that marks true happiness. We see that throughout the course of all of the Beatitudes. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, We are not to hunger and thirst after blessedness, we are to hunger and thirst after happiness, but that is what most people are doing. We put happiness and blessedness as one thing that we desire, and we always miss it. And we always miss it. It always eludes us. According to the scripture, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It is always something that results from seeking something else. So we're seeking uh, right living, right standing with God by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What we, were, what we will be is happy. But when we turn this around, when we make it circular, when we say happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness, we miss it. This is commonly seen if you share Jesus with someone, a co-worker or something like this. Oftentimes an injection to the truth of the gospel is, is this. Why wouldn't God want me to be happy? And the answer is twofold to that. He does, but it's not in the way that you think. It's not how you uh, have set up happiness or even what you think happiness is. So you think happiness is getting a bigger house. You think happiness is driving a better car. You think happiness is having multiple sexual partners. You think that these things will fulfill you, but they won't. They won't satisfy you. The world says they will. The world says that they'll make you happy, but they won't make you happy. They will leave you empty. If as parents, our kids don't want to eat their fruit, we look at them and say, or they say to us, you don't, or I don't like this. We still make them eat fruit because their likes don't represent their needs. They need vitamin C. 
They need vitamin C, otherwise they're going to get scurvy. <laughs> and when you and I don't do things that we think, or don't do things because we think they won't make us happy, because, or the things that God has commanded us in the pages of Scripture, that is, when we choose to ignore those things, we wind up with spiritual scurvy. We wind up with spiritual scurvy. We, we ignore the things that God has set out for us. We wind up with spiritual, spiritual sickness. So that leads then to our second thought coming out of this understanding of righteousness. That we are pursuing then a standard that is not our own. We are pursuing a standard that is not our own. So in the world in which we live, moral relativism, just the understanding that do what feels right, is pretty prevalent. This is an idea that, that sort of has permeated and sort of made its way into the church as well. And friends, this is so difficult for us, because this is just the way that we are wired. Well, this thing or that thing makes me happy, so I'm going to invest my time here or there. I'm going to spend time doing these things because they make me happy. But again, when we make our happiness our highest aim, we will hunger and thirst for our standards and not God's standards. We will hunger and thirst for the things that we structure and that we will, we, will, we will order our days in such a way to elevate our happiness and set these standards so that we can achieve that rather than achieve what God has granted to us uh, as an understanding of, of who He is. So I'm, I'm baffled by, by marketing. Okay, so we're watching the NBA Finals. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I watch the NBA Finals. I watch these commercials. These commercials just blow my mind. They just they blow my mind. One of the ongoing themes, and if you watch an ad on TV, one of the ongoing themes that I hear over and over and over again is that by using a particular hair care product or driving a particular car, you're expressing your individuality. That is so ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. And yet they just like, they just like, oh yeah, look at look at you driving this car. It's a what are we? 31.3% of smartphone users in the U.S. have an iPhone. You are not expressing any sense of individuality <laughs> by having an iPhone. You're not. No matter what Apple tells you in their ads, you aren't breaking any trends, you're just intensifying them. And this is a great deception. Companies try to do this to us all the time in, our, in, our, in their marketing. As what do people want? What do people want? People want to live according to their own rules, make their own path, and we'll make it seem like our product makes that possible. That's how it goes. So those then who follow Christ, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are those who do not understand, or do, who do understand that their standard is not set by them. Those who follow Christ, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, understand that the standard is not set by them. They live within the confines of another. They seek to glorify God, not themselves. They seek to recognize others' needs above their own. This is what uh, the kingdom portrait looks like. This is how God is painting the kingdom portrait through His church here on earth. It's a bunch of people doing things that look completely strange to the world. Completely strange to the world. 
People are, who are pursuing their own happiness, but rather hovering and thirsting after righteousness, and a righteousness that is measured by God's standards, not by our own. So then the last thought, the last thing, the promise here given, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Now, this makes sense. This follows, right, hunger and thirst. When you do eat something, um, and you find it to be, uh, when you find it to take the edge off your hunger or whatever, you find satisfaction in that thing. And again, for first century readers of this who understood intense hunger in an incredible way, um, the satisfaction that came was one of dramatic relief. Dramatic relief to, to, uh, to the, the hunger in which they felt. So when you're hungry, you take in food and your body's requirements are met, right? When, you, when you're thirsty, you take in water and your body's requirements are met. Satisfaction is the understanding of the idea of complete meeting of, of requirements. So this idea that has an ongoing effect for us, right? It has an ongoing effect. A hunger and thirst that continues on and on and on, and a satisfaction that continues... Jesus uses the language that he does to indicate that it's not a one-time hunger or thirst, but an ongoing one, an ongoing hunger or thirst that is filled with an ongoing satisfaction. So it's this, this strange tension in which we live, where we're always hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and we're being satisfied by who God is and understanding more and more of who He is, but then by understanding more and more of who this infinite God is, we hunger and thirst for more and more of Him. So the question for you then, as we consider satisfaction in particular, is what are the desires of your heart? What are, what are the desires of your heart? The Bible uses this language a lot. Language of pleasure, of satisfaction, of knowing God and understanding that He is the one that, 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 that can satisfy those things. So, what are the desires of your heart? Could it be to get some rest this weekend? If you've had a long week and you just want to crash on the couch when you get home. Is it to connect with your spouse better? Maybe you haven't connected with your spouse in a while and you really long to connect with your spouse. Maybe it's just to get that project, get out from underneath that project at work. That thing that's been weighing down on you for, for days and months. Maybe you should get to it through a season of grief. Maybe you've lost a loved one or you've lost something that's important to you. Maybe it's to get through that season. Maybe that's the desire of your heart. And God can and intends to meet those desires. But oftentimes in a different way than we think. He intends and can meet those desires with himself. And this is why Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because living according to God's standards is the way in which we'll be satisfied. Again, seems strange. The answer to the question is, why? Because God tells His people that they will be holy like He is holy. God tells His people that they will be set apart as He is set apart. What sets the follower of Jesus apart? It's finding satisfaction in God. What, what sets the believer, the follower of Jesus apart, is finding satisfaction in God. Finding satisfaction in keeping His commands, even when they seem ridiculous to the world. Because in keeping His commands, 
We are becoming more like Him. This is, I think, the biggest struggle that we have when we see imperatives in Scripture, when we see commands, when we see things that we're expected to obey in Scripture. We look at them and we just see this random, arbitrary set of rules in which we need to do to achieve something. But what this beatitude tells us is that God's favor comes first, and then the expectation of right living comes second. But the right living doesn't come just as a random set, set of, of, of standards or rules or laws. But the commands that he gives us are expressions of who he is. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear me say this. When God tells his people to do something, when God commands his people in the Old Testament, when God commands the church in the New Testament to do something, he is giving us a deeper understanding of who he is. The commands that God gives to us are gracious. First John, John in First John tells us that his commands are not burdensome. First John uh, 5, 2 and 3, he, John writes this, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Because we understand in keeping these commandments, we are reflecting God's divine nature. We are reflecting Him. His commands show us how to do that. This isn't God just saying, oh, I'm going to make Him do that, I'm going to make Him do that, I'm going to make Him do that. He's saying, I am God. They are created in my image. Here are the commands that I'm giving them so that they can fully realize that image bearing. I mean... This is this kind of this really kind of blows my mind in some sense. And the question is, just, does this make sense to us? Does it make sense to us that we cannot be satisfied anywhere else? Does it make sense to us that in following what God has laid out for us in the pages of Scripture, does it make sense to us that we cannot find satisfaction anywhere else? The the idea then coming out of that is if we cannot find satisfaction anywhere else. And I'm not saying, like, complete satisfaction. You can be satisfied by things that happen in our world. But the overarching satisfaction, the only true and lasting satisfaction that we can find is found in Jesus. If we believe this, then we must stop trying and stop <coughs> searching. We, we spend so much time trying to seek things that, that we feel like will give us some lasting satisfaction when the thing that will, the only thing that will grant us Satisfaction now and in eternity is right before our very eyes. There's only one source of satisfaction. We should only have one passion. We should only have one pursuit. And that is to know God. He is the source of this satisfaction. How can you seek satisfaction in anywhere other than the one who created you, who orders your steps, who has demonstrated mercy to you, who is infinitely good and right and just and loving. Jonathan Edwards writes this, God is the inheritance of the saints. God is the inheritance of the saints. He is the portion of their souls. It is God who will satisfy you. Not the pursuit of your individuality by buying an iPhone. Rather the pursuit of of magnifying Him. 
It's not the pursuit of your work. Rather, it's the pursuit of pointing to His. It's not the, the, uh, the pursuit of, of, of your own kingdom. But rather the pursuit of displaying His. Of painting a portrait of what His kingdom looks like. It's not the pursuit of our own standards. Setting happiness as the pinnacle for the things in which we can achieve here on earth. Rather it's the pursuit of submitting to His standards. So here's how we can think of satisfaction in line with this, this beatitude. And remember, these, these blessings are both for now and for the future. Just say this, you see it on the screen behind me. Satisfaction is living in step with what God commands us because in doing so, we reflect Him most clearly. Satisfaction is living in step with what, that which God commands us because in doing so we reflect him most clearly. John Piper in his book Desiring God says it like this God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So the idea that satisfaction is living in step with that which God commands us because in doing, doing so we reflect him most clearly. So in conclusion then, just a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. We started out by thinking about this hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We think about the first century readers and how they would have explored this preference, or how they, they would have seen hunger as a need, and how sometimes we think of hunger just as a personal preference. So we need to explore the idea of preference versus need in our own hearts. This is a takeaway. Again, for, their, for his hearers, Jesus' hearers, hunger represents need. That boy, I'm hungry. We, we use hunger sort of as like a, I'm hungry for a taco, or I'm hungry for a nice quiche. Would you like quiche? The, we use it in that way, and, and, when, and for the first century hearers, again, he would have, he think hunger would have just been like anything. Any type of food that I can get my hands on. I'm starving because of the sheer lack of availability of food and water. And so we need to begin to operate in these terms, I think. I think as the church, Buffalo City Church, let's do this together. Let's begin to operate in these terms. Let's set aside personal preference. And let's begin to think about need. What is it that we need? Are we living as reflections of God by living like He commands us to? And here's, here's a practical side of this. A New Testament command that's given to us. Right? We're in the throes of summer now. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about it directly. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to not forsake the meeting together as, some, as the habit of some. But all the more as we see the day drawing near. Stirring one another up to love and good works. So this is a big thing. Engagement in the body of Christ. What, is this, what does this look like? You consider the fact that we as Christians are commanded to be together regularly. We are commanded to be together regularly just because of that Hebrews passage that's given to us. To love one another. And then in that, to love one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, etc. I'm afraid that many of us have not taken that very seriously. 
We're not taking these, these commands very seriously. We're making them a matter of preference over a need. This command that's given to us is not based on our personal preference, but based on what's best for us as those who are reflecting the true nature of God. So we break the commands to be together regularly and love one another, encourage one another, and we make all sorts of excuses, but what it boils down to is that we just prefer to be somewhere else. We just prefer to be somewhere else. Bartlett Jones, I quoted him earlier, he says this, but you say, again, he wrote this in the 50s, but you say, I am tremendously busy, look at my agenda, where by time you say, if you are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, you will find time. You will order your life, you will say, first things must come first, there is a priority in these matters, and though I have, have to do this or that or the other, I, can afford, I cannot afford to neglect this, because my soul is in bondage. Where there is a will, there is a way. It is amazing how we find time to do the things we want to do. You see, hungering and thirsting for lives that live according to God's standards, to, uh, according to, uh, uh, to, to live in a God-honoring way. Friends, God is faithful to us. God's faithfulness, that doesn't change. That's not whimsical. This doesn't blow around in the winds of, of preference. I doesn't wake up one morning and say, I, the faithfulness thing just isn't, isn't where I'm at right now. It's in his favor that's pronounced to us. And these beatitudes, is that come and go on a whim? It doesn't come and go on a whim. We need to start reflecting him in this, in his faithfulness and all of his divine characteristics. The way in which we do this, we ask ourselves, how do we do this? The way in which we do it is to look and see what commands his word. Is it because we gather every week that this quickly becomes scratched? We don't miss work. We have to put a food on the table. We need a paycheck. We compromise our spiritual life and vitality because we treat Sunday or gathering together in whatever way that we uh, gather together as a suggestion or a preference rather than a biblical command. We say, gosh, that sounds really legalistic. The fact of the matter is it's not. Legalism is a list of rules that by keeping them you think that you can obtain God's favor or earn something like your own salvation. And this isn't a checklist. This isn't a soul-sucking endeavor. This is a, is a rule that you can't keep. This is a rule that you certainly, you should hunger and thirst to be together with the people of God because that's what God demands of you. God isn't making casual suggestions. He's graciously giving you commands to demonstrate to you who He is. The Hebrews 10 passage, to not forsake the meeting together, is a, a gracious demonstration to us of who God is. Blowing in the winds of personal preference, where we rooted in the unwavering truth of who God is. Objection, pastor, you just want to see four numbers on Sunday morning? No. I want to see God's people grow in their understanding of who He is. Do not stunt your own growth. 
by ignoring what God has demonstrated to you about who he is. Look at Matthew, so much of Matthew is about the gospel and how disciples and followers of Jesus are supposed to live. We follow Jesus casually by turning these commands into suggestions. We're called to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to find our insatiable need to reflect who God is by following His commands. So we need to explore in our own hearts, we need to explore this idea of preference versus need. This understanding of what is a preference that I have and what is a need that I have. The second one then is exploring constraints versus freedom. What do I, what do I mean by this? So, question. Do we view God honoring living as a set of things that we don't get to do. This is how much of Christian Christendom has, has operated. We see commands in Scripture and we see them as a list of things that we don't get to do. This is the way uh, that, that we tend to operate. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't live like this. Sounds like me having a conversation with our four-year-old. But we need to be rewired here. These commands that are given here are not constraints or enslaving, but freedom. God has created us with intent. And by living according to the things that the Bible outlines for us, we are realizing living with that intent in mind. We are glorifying Him. We are reflecting His nature. And when we operate within these parameters, we are truly free. The biblical understanding of freedom isn't getting to do what you want to do when you want to do it. That's not the biblical understanding of freedom. The biblical understanding of freedom is getting to do what God wants you to do whenever God wants you to do it. This is true freedom. We do not know what we need. The reason we're not actually free is because of sin. It's still a reality in our world. We oftentimes take ourselves and make our desires the highest good, our chief aim, and in doing so, we submit to a yoke of slavery. By making our desires, our happiness, the, our chief aim, we submit to a yoke of slavery. So Jesus, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then, flows from an understanding that it's God's way, not our way, that leads to complete satisfaction. So here's the question I just want you to walk away with. This is a little finisher. The question I want you to walk away with. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I hunger and thirst to do that which God commands? Do I hunger and thirst for that? So, well, not really sure what that looks like. You satisfied by reflecting God. Who God is described to be in the page. Are you satisfied in reflecting that? Or are you seeking satisfaction elsewhere? You and I, we don't earn God's favor by keeping His commands, by working to do these things. Rather, we prove that God's favor is upon us by living 
in obedience. We prove that God's favor is on us by living in obedience. If you're here this morning and that seems really strange to you, that seems backwards, it seems odd, I'd love to, love to talk to you. Come talk to me, I'll be up here afterwards. We want to know God. The question is how? Well, he's revealed all of that we need to know about who he is here. But then when we realize that, we begin to see him clearly and see ourselves in light of who he is. Let's repent of the sin that, that is enslaved us and trust Jesus as the one who can make us right with God. And then out of that flows this spirit-empowered living. He reorders, rewires, reorients our desires, our longings from self-consumed and self-reliant and self-oriented to a longing that finds satisfaction in Him alone. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray.